When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There we are then. Day four at Roland Garros in the books. Uh, well, nearly. Tennis still going on there, but uh, I am not, as you can see, there anymore. Uh, <laughs> turns out staying up till three in the morning editing and then... Getting up at nine to go and do Radicanu does not equal ability to see the whole day through. Um, I've got it on the telly here instead. Yes, it had been a first day of proper kind of sunshine in Paris, which uh, when I first agreed to do this trip, um, one of the main things I thought was, yeah, yeah, Paris in the spring, lovely, nice and sunny and warm. And it, it has been at times, but actually pretty rarely. Uh, so yeah, today, this morning I walked to the metro because the trams are on strike again and uh, I got to Roland Garros and it was blue skies coming out of the tube station and it's not too hot, you know, it's that lovely temperature where you're never really uncomfortable and yeah, it was just lovely. I went and sat on Suzanne Longlen, which is the second court at Roland Garros and watched Radicanu Sastovich and I was almost disappointed it was Radicanu because... It's one of the loveliest areas in tennis to watch tennis, to watch tennis from the the viewing area, as I said the other day. It's right behind the sort of bowler's arm, so you really feel like you're almost on court with them. And it was sunny, and there was a little bit of a breeze, and I was disappointed it was Radicanu because I had to concentrate and do some work. Whereas if it had just been, you know, two players no one had heard of, I could have spent half an hour just with my laptop closed, taking in the surroundings. But, you know there to work I suppose so maybe that's uh, too much to hope for uh, very pleasant morning anyway uh, this evening I got home I just really needed like some comfort food just wasn't feeling great so ordered a pizza turns out they don't do dip here like none I looked at loads of different places to order pizza from nowhere really offered dip like garlic dip is the main reason I order pizza it's it, it's my one of my favorite things in the world here I am in the capital of the country that prides itself on like gastronomic indulgence and butter and garlic, and you can't get dip with pizza. I mean, maybe I'm overreacting, but I'm shocked. Shocked. 
anyway, that's just my personal gripe. Um, one other nice thing did happen today that was uh, quite funny was Tanasi Kokonakis, who, for people who don't know, is an Australian tennis player. He uh, won the Australian Open men's doubles with Nick Kyrgios this summer, or Australian summers, January. And, you know, he's been through a lot in terms of injury in his career, and he's fought his way back to be relatively competitive. And he's out of the singles, and he played doubles today, and he came in, and there were four of us, um, myself, Tumani from The Guardian, uh, and then a couple of Aussie journalists who I uh, hadn't met before. And he said, oh, there are more people here today. Great. Yeah, all right, cool. More for doubles than singles. Um, and it was just nice. We were in a little makeshift room. You know, there are two big main press conference rooms, one big one, one slightly smaller. And then they'd sort of built a third one, just basically just a desk and maybe 10 chairs in front of it. And so the four of us just sat in the front row. And, you know, that's actually so much nicer and, you know, if they really want to reshape the press conference thing, those small press conferences, like, we just had a laugh together. I mean, it helps that Tanasi is a pretty easygoing guy, um, and he likes to talk, and, yeah, we just joked her, and he knew the two Aussies quite well. And we just chatted about stuff and tennis, and um, he was talking about essentially playing mixed doubles at Wimbledon, and, you know, mixed doubles is weird because, you know, they very much have to find a partner, and he said that um, Zhang Shui, the... Uh, Chinese girl who's very good, she's number five in the world, had approached him and said, can we play together? And he'd sort of gone, uh, maybe, but probably not, because I'm already playing singles and men's doubles with Nick. So, yeah. And then uh, the, maybe the funniest thing he said, someone asked him, what's the difference between playing doubles with Nick Kyrgios and playing with Alexander Bublik, who he's playing with here? Uh, and he said, to be honest, Bublik's a little less focused, which <laughs> I thought was pretty amazing. And even he conceded it was pretty remarkable to say, but... Apparently Nick's really dialed in when he plays doubles with Tenassi and Alexander's a little bit more out there. So, yeah, just made me laugh. Anyway, uh, if you are listening on the podcast, it'll be me and Calvin coming up next. If you're just watching this on Instagram, um, go listen to the podcast. You can skip the first couple of minutes, but go listen to the rest. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Yes, and I've been joined by Calvin Beton, of course. Who else? I mean, who else? It could be George Belshaw, but he's far too important and busy for us. So we'll have George back tomorrow and reliably informed. He's squeezed us into his busy diary to uh, to join us for a full, it'll be a full-length pod tomorrow, not just a podlet. Just be Calvin and I for 20 minutes or so uh, this, after, this evening, I should say, looking over what's been um, an intriguing, a really almost dramatic day, you would say, at Roland Garros, day four. Uh, the first day of second round action. Uh, a couple of absolutely screaming five setters in the men's side. Uh, a couple of reasonably big shocks in the women's side. Um, but it all started on Suzanne Longlen with Emma Raducanu up against Alexandra Sastovich. It was a matchup we'd seen before. They, of course, played in Indian Wells in uh, Raducanu's first match after winning the US Open, and she lost in straight sets. Uh, Calvin, this was, if nothing else, an improvement on that. You can't can't argue with that, can you? 
Yeah, um, I don't actually remember the match in Indian Wells, but um, this for, for two thirds of it, I thought was was a close match. It's good mm. competition. Yeah, um, Radicanu won the first set six three. She broke twice in that set. Um, it should be noted that that set basically turned on one game. Uh, the fourth game of the match, Radicanu serving, saved two break points, really struggled to get out the game, and then when she did, uh, after just short of ten minutes, she immediately broke. And I have to say, uh, you know, I was on Long Glen for that first set, and the two, the put the game she broke was like. It was one of those games where she just hit three perfect shots in a row. Like, she hit two backhand angles, you know, short backhand angle out of nowhere to yeah. go from 15 all to... Or to go from 30-15 um, to 30-40. And then actually, you know, credit to a really nicely constructed point, kind of pushing Sasanovic back on the forehand side and then pulling the trigger down the line. Um, and at that point, after one set, you know, as you say, Calvin, it was good competition and you thought she was just going to maybe just ease away with it. Uh, and and then it all kind of turned on its head in the second set. Yeah, I, th- I think the last two sets being six one six one were, a, were probably a little bit generous to Sasnovich. I don't think it was ever. It didn't feel like. It didn't feel like it was twelve to two in games in that last hour of the match, did it? Mm. No, no, exactly. It was definitely more competitive than that. Um, uh, I mean, you sort of feel for. I think the problem was, uh, and this often happens, is that Raducanu, even when she held. She was unable to really get a proper foothold in the Sastovich serve. So, you know, she'd hold, and it was physical, and she's talked about the physicality. And it wasn't obvious that she was losing any physicality. But, you know, if you spend 12 minutes serving, and then you get two points off the other girl's serve, and all of a sudden you're serving again, that, that has an impact. It must. Yeah, it does. But then I, I couldn't really understand that because Sasnovich, it's not like she's a huge server. No. It serves quite decent, and Emma is a good returner. It's probably a, one of her strengths. So I didn't understand why she really wasn't getting in any of the games. Well, I have some ideas, but I mean, I'm happy to go into some of them now, but I think we'll probably discuss them further in the longer pod tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, look, I, I thought she was too deep. I think she play, She has generally played too deep on, on clay. I think there's a... Te- like, certainly in the latter half of her clay court season... I think she's thought, right, well, I need to play deeper because that's what all the great clay quarters do. And it, you know, it's not a, a kind of simple, it's not as simple as that. I know that. But um, yeah, it was sort of frustrating to watch things things go away in the manner that she did. Um, I asked her afterwards a question that she either ignored or didn't hear properly or just refused to answer. I wasn't really sure what it was. But I wanted to know because she had said before the match that her new hitting partner, Raymond Sarimento, had been in um, Indian Wells for that match. And so he had some ideas about what to do and how to beat her or how to play better against her. And so I said, well, you know, what were his ideas and which of them worked? <laughs> and she just said, oh, we just started this week. Uh, he's been a great addition, working really good in the practice court, doing some really good drills and stuff. You know, I think having that high level of hitting day in, day out is definitely going to help. Um, I won't get into hitting partners too much because... Well, we've said a lot about it already, <laughs> but um, I thought I thought it was interesting that you know she was asked to sum up her clay court season, and she did say that she felt she had improved. The thing she was really talking about, Calvin, and you can probably talk about this in general terms, is knowing when to hit the ball flat and when to use. Well, she said shape. I mean, that is basically the clay court game in a in a heart in a sort of nutshell, right? It's like 
whether to hit your big topspin shots or whether to hit your big flat shots. And realistically, um, the time hitting it flat doesn't work. It is in the men's game. In the women's game, it's less so. You get less shape in the women's game anyway. Um, I remember I, I went to watch the um, Junior Davis Cup a few years ago on a coach education course. And we were asked to look at the patterns of and how the girls were playing on the clay courts. And the players I watched at the time were both, I think they're both 16, but they're now both in the top 100. Mm. Um, and there was no different from on a fast hard court. They both just absolutely leathered everything flat and hard. <laughs> and most of the tennis I've watched in the women's game in this tournament and across the clay court season is the same. Mm. And that's how Sashnovich didn't really hit with much shape. No. Today, she she leathered the ball flat and hard, but I think this is my, watching Emma today. And again, I'll precurse this with saying I'm not trying to criticize her all the time, but um, I'm not going to criticize her now. But she, she looks really well drilled. Like if you look at it now, and, and I look if, if I was to look at a player and I'd not seen her before, and say she looks exceptionally well drilled. She does the basics well. She sets up behind the ball well. She hits a clean ball. She has good rally tempo. She has good rally tolerance. But there's not a whole lot other than that. And that's what I find weird about this idea she's got that she, now she's going to get better quality hitting. Because that, to me, suggests that she's going to be doing more hitting. She's going to be doing more drilling. And mm. she's already well drilled. Mm. And there wasn't... I wouldn't say her decision... I, I think it would be bad, it would be wrong to say her decision-making was bad today. There just wasn't much decision-making. It was. Mm. She seemed to hit every ball was sort of solid to a length 95 percent of the balls were just solid to a length somewhere between flat and shaped and and that was it and and sasnovich sort, sort of cottoned on to that wait a minute every one of these balls on my racket if she, if you're playing someone like that you can think if i make my decisions well i'm going to get chances here and that's what sasnovich did and in fairness you know sasnovich is i think 27th in the race this year um so, so you know yeah. she's arguably a top 30 player at the moment um, she has been going well and she did play well. You know, it's not as though Emma turned up against some qualifier and got battered. You know, that nearly happened in the first round, but she turned it round. Um, um, yeah, so she's made some progress there, I think. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, all through, uh, you know, to sum up Emma's clay court season, it would be she does everything good. She moves good. She moves better than good, to be fair. She's, she moves really well and she competes exceptionally well. Um, but and she does everything else good, and there's nothing that's great. Mm. There's nothing that you think right. If if this dials in here, then then we could be in business. You felt in the third set today. You felt it was going to be on Sasnovich's racket. Sasnovich was going to was going to miss, or she was going to hit winners. You didn't really see Emma just coming out and, and breaking serve with like you know sort of breaking serve with with four winners and then holding with with another three winners and a mistake or something mm. and even at the end of the first set you're right in saying she hit three perfect shots but i think on two of them sasha which was there and left them because she thought they were going out mm. yeah uh, the second break of serve she did get lucky and Sasnovich got a bit lost in the court and yeah, it kind of got away from. Yeah, um, it was a weird. It was a weird match in that sense. And then the third set, it got quite windy, and that seemed to affect Radicanu more than it did Sasnovich. So, yeah, it, it was an odd match. But well, you know, Radicanu got to the second round and is going to go up probably inside the top ten <laughs> because she didn't have any points to defend. So, yeah. um, one of those things. Uh, a couple of other results to bring you from early on in 
The WTA are Angelique Kerber, Jill Teichman, and Victoria Azarenka, all through in straight sets. Um, similarly, Amanda Anasimova, Coco Goff, and Kaya Kanepi, and Leila Fernandez, all results you would expect. The one we didn't expect was Maria Sakari going out in the second round. She was beaten by Karolina Makova, who is technically ranked 81 in the world, but I have to say, when I looked at that, I thought that that is a really nasty little draw for the second round. You know, she's been up, I think she's been as high as 19 in the world not that long ago. She had a bit of an injury, and she's on the comeback from that. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, Calvin, we talk about Maria Sakari a lot, and we talk about she's just not quite there. Like, she's not quite over that hump to the kind of elite player who just makes every semi-final and wins 50% of them. She's not at that level yet, is she? No, and I think I think Sakari is actually a good comparison with Radicanu at this stage. I think they're actually quite similar in what they do, mm. um, in that they both move really well. They both do everything quite well. And I'm saying, look, I'm saying at that level, I'm talking about the really elite level. Hmm. You're talking about in general, they both do everything absolutely brilliantly. But, but in <laughs> yeah. terms of the top 50 players in the world, even higher, the top 30, they both do everything well. They're solid. Hmm. And you always feel that their opponents, if they play against somebody who plays well, you feel like they're in trouble. Yeah, I can't really say much more than that. It just, it just frustrated me because the bottom half of that women's draw is now, I mean, just a total mess. Um, I mean, it was already a little bit like the men's draw the bottom half was already looking pretty bad. Um, but when I think it was Jersey Morgado posted that, uh, the kind of here's the women's third round in the bottom half now, um, I think the highest seed in there is Belinda Bencic, who incidentally thrashed uh, Bianca Andreescu um, today. And, you know, Belinda Bencic is great, but we're, we're two rounds into the tournament. And yeah. she, the number 14 seed, is the highest ranked player left in the bottom half. Um I don't know. I mean, there is a decent chance we're going to get a quarterfinal that is something like Kerber against... Well, hopefully it's Kerber against Anisimova, but we very much also could get, I don't know, Elise Mertens against Jill Teichman. And, and that, you know... <laughs> I don't know who wants to watch that. I really like Jill Teichman, and I don't particularly want to watch that. Yeah, also, Bencic, when she was in this kind of situation at the US Open, she went to pieces against Raducanu. Like didn't hold herself together at all. So um... I think it's Anisimova's to lose that bottom half. Yeah, like she, she, yeah, she's in such good form. Um, she's got she's got the game to do it. She's got potentially Bencic in the fourth, and then maybe Kerber in the quarters if she gets that far. Um, both of which I think are eminently winnable. Like I, I feel like Anisimova quite enjoys being in a slugathon, you know, with someone like Bencic. We kind of saw it against Osaka. Well, she's the type of player that I'm talking about there that if if she's somebody who can do some damage hmm. that you think, right, if, if she plays well, then she's going to get through most of these matches. Hmm. And that's include Obviously, she's beaten Osaka twice this year. No one is bigger than Osaka. Yeah. Indeed. Um, a couple of other results. Uh, Daria Saville beat Petra Kvitova, which is uh, technically an upset and a great result for her. Another one who's rebuilding her ranking. Um, I think that's really something to be to be proud of, even though I'm sure a lot of people have mean things to say about Petra Kvitova. Uh, Diane Parry is into the third round as well, which would suggest, A, I know my tennis because I've picked her as my young player of the year, and B, 
the one-handed backhand is very much back in the women's game um, because there was the Mexican girl, Contreras. She had a bit of a run in this tournament as well. She's got a hell of a one-handed backhand, so um, that could be quite exciting. And by the way, Diane Parry isn't done yet because she's got uh, she's got Sloane Stevens in the third round, who who beat Serana Costea today, you know, which is a result. But she, I put it this way: Sloane Stevens hasn't won in straight sets yet. <laughs> she, she's lost the first yeah. set in both matches. And I think that is pretty indicative of quite how up and down she is at the best of times these days. Um, but that'll be a match worth watching, by the way. Yeah, she, she likes Paris Sloan Stevens as well, doesn't she? She's done well there before. Indeed. Um, let's flip up to the uh, men's today. Uh, I mentioned a couple of five setters at the top of the podlet. They were very much the stories of the day. I'm not talking about Jaume Munar and Diego Schwartzman, much as I'd like to. Um, they did go five sets and uh, shorts come out on top. I'm talking about the other little Argentinian, Sebastian Baez, the new Schwartzman they're calling him. Uh, he is, incidentally, on an absolute tear. He won three challenger titles at the end of last year. He won Estoril this year. He's up to the, inside the top 40, uh, and we thought he might be about to create one of the most popular upsets of all time and beat Alexander Zverev when he took a 6-2, 6-4 lead. And then it just all came crumbling down. He won, uh, he lost twelve of the next fifteen games. They went into a deciding set. I mean, he, you know, he had match point. He he had an opportunity to win the match in in that final set. I think, well, off the top of my head, it was indeed in the final set. Um, he couldn't convert it uh, on Zverev's serve at four five, and Zverev did what he does best and broke the very next game. I mean, Calvin, how many times are we going to watch Alexander Zverev get dragged into unnecessary five-setters? Yeah, um, it happens a lot, doesn't it? I mean, I'd, it was a strange one with Bayes today because he's that type of player, those kind of smaller guys who rely on being solid, and I think he's great, Bayes. He's one of the best decision-makers I've ever watched. He's I've watched him again today, and there's hardly any times where you go where you think, what are you doing there? And the problem is always, it's often on execution. Sometimes he makes the right decision and doesn't execute right, or he just doesn't have the power sometimes to, to, to do it. And he doesn't have the big serve that can get him through it. But you get that, especially against the better players, where you get these guys, these smaller guys who make a lot of balls and they go up in matches because the higher-ranked player has lost a bit of focus. They're not quite there. I mean, I wanted to kind of read you some of what Zverev said after the match. Um, he said... I think he played a very good match, especially in the beginning. Um, I had no, absolutely no rhythm at all in the beginning on that court. It was extremely windy. Conditions were very different than the other day, so it took me a while to get into the match. But I knew I had to keep fighting. I just had to find a way, especially in the second set. Um, I knew I knew in that second set I wasn't going to win it, but I knew I just had to find rhythm in that set. Um, is there any uh, kind of reason or rhyme to the idea that big tall guys get affected by wind more than little small guys but just because they're higher up i guess one of the things you could say is that they rely more on their serve so the serve has to be more effective and it has to be better yeah. whereas Baez is kind of just rolling the serves in so yeah. you can he can even afford to take if if Zverev takes 10 10 or 15 percent off his serve then you're losing a lot yeah whereas if if Baez takes 10 percent 10 15 percent off his serve then it doesn't make much difference because he's not getting three points on it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, but Zverev is through, nevertheless. Uh, I mean, I, I take no pleasure in saying that. I've 
not been shy about that before. Um, he's got Brandon Nakashima in the next round because he beat Talangri Expo. He's not going to lose to him. Uh, and then he's either got Isner or Zapata Morales, the qualifier who I have in fantasy uh, and who's just knocked out Taylor Fritz. Uh, he's beaten two Americans in a row and he's got a third American. I mean, I would love him to win and then play Brandon Nakashima in the next round and just spend his life playing Americans, but that might might not happen. He'd also uh, get rid of two of the... Uh... Two of the more un- less likable characters on the tour, wouldn't you? If we did that, yeah, yeah, we can't say the word we want to use about them, but uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, the other brilliant five setter was out on Simone Mathieu, the third court uh, in Roland Garros. Albert Ramos Vignolas versus Carlos Alcaraz. It's a match that you may have heard before because they played each other back in February 2020 in what was Carlos Alcaraz's first ever tour match. He was 16. It started at about 11 o'clock at night. It lasted three and a half hours, and Alcaraz won it in three very grueling sets. We should have seen this one coming. It was four hours, 38 minutes. Uh, Ramos Vignoles had match points in the fourth set. Alcaraz saved them. He was a breakdown in the fifth as well. Came back again uh, and won 6-4 in the fifth. I mean, Calvin, you were pretty confident Alcaraz wasn't losing that at any point, weren't you? There was a there was a game, and and Ramos Vinales ended up winning it. Actually, it was the five six game, I think. Yeah. And in the fourth he missed, set. Yeah, he missed too many mid court forehands where he could have won it, and he was tight on them. And right then, I, I thought to myself, and I put it in our WhatsApp group, he's he's not winning this because if it comes to a situation where he's going to have to finish Alcaraz off, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. Because yeah. you can miss what look, you can miss one, you can miss two, you get a bit tight, sort yourself out. In that game alone, he missed about six. That game was long. <laughs> it and went to seven chance, juices, that game. Yeah. He had so many chances, mid-court forehands, and he'd either be tentative on them and, and um, Alcaraz would pass him, or he'd push them a bit wide. And I, I thought then he, he's not going to be able to get over the line here. And... Uh, and I guess like that is the problem with playing Alcaraz, right? And we saw it a lot today, him running down just absurd balls. But if you come up to a midcourt forehand and you know it's Alcaraz the other end, you're thinking, oh God, I've really got to get this right. Like I've really got to try and get this right. I can't just half hit it and he won't bother. Yeah, and the players know what, they know now that he's a great player as well. Mm-hmm. That you're going to have to get, it's, it's only going to be certain players who are going to be able to polish those balls off time after time again. And yeah. that's why they're the best players in the world. That's why, <laughs> again, it's why players like Federer, Nadal, Del Potro, they they don't miss mid-court forehands. If they mm. get miss mid-court forehands, well, famously, Federer didn't put one away at final Wimbledon. But, it's because um, he knew who was the other end. He, yeah. kn- he knew who was the other end. And, and he knew what the point was as well. But, well, um, yeah, yeah they, they, don't, they don't miss them. And it's why they have 20 slams and... It's why Ramos Vanellas has none. <laughs> it's very harsh. I mean, Albert Ramos Vanellas, I mean, he's played about 1,500 professional matches. Like, you know, he's not someone you'd expect to go out and win that no, match. The thing is, right, I always, and I, I might have said this on the pod before, that there's always this idea. People say that, that players in any sport, they go, they play better under pressure. No one plays better under pressure. The best no. players play their same, play their usual under pressure. And that was the thing. Ramos Vanellas, those forums I'm talking about, if it's one all in the first, Ramos Vanellas is hitting winners off six out of six of the ones he missed hmm. or, or didn't put away. 
but when the pressure's on, he's not playing to his usual level, and that that's that's the difference. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Carlos Carlos Alcaraz is through. That's all that really matters. He's going to play Sebastian Corda in the third round. That's a rematch of the Monte Carlo match from earlier this year. I don't think this will bear any resemblance to that. It certainly won't be as windy for certain, um, which was. I think that's a different match, though. Corda can Corda's going to bring something. He's going to be able to hit through him. That's true, and actually, I've been quite impressed with Seb Corda so far. Um, he beat Richard Gasquet today in straight sets, which ordinarily you're like, yeah, beating Gasquet, like who cares? But Gasquet's actually had like a really good couple of weeks. Like he went quite deep in Geneva. Yeah. He beat a couple of good guys. He absolutely demolished Lloyd Harris in the first round. Who is is no mug, you know? He's been thirty odd in the world not that long ago. So I do wonder if Corda. I mean, he should be a guy who does some damage at this tournament, right? Like he's been. When he went to fourth round and like he's been reasonably deep before. There's going to be a point I think where Cordis comes through. He's gonna. I, I think he's going to be a top ten player. And generally, when you're at the ranking that he is at now, what, what is he now? He's about he's 25, he's 25, 30. 30. Yeah. If you're thirty, you generally need a good slam to start break. You need you need to start either winning tournament after tournament after tournament and doing it that way, or you need a good slam. And he, yeah. he's he's due one of those. Although. He's got points to defend at Wimbledon, hasn't he? So Yeah, he fourth drop. round of women last year, which is obviously going to schluff off, which is a bit of a problem. Yeah. But I, I do wonder at that higher level whether that's a bit of a wash. Like, you know, quite a lot of... There's not many guys who... Okay, there's a few, but there's not many guys who, like, didn't go to Wimbledon or lost first round Wimbledon who are just going to stay still while yeah. everyone falls past them. Like, everyone's going to fall a bit. So I, it might not be quite so catastrophic um, yeah. as we kind of worry. Um Elsewhere, a few other results. Straight set wins for Felix Oja-Aliassime, uh, Cam Norrie as well, very comfortably into the third round. Gregor Dimitrov, uh, Rafa Nadal in the night tennis, absolutely demolished Corentin Muta in a match that really needs very little analysis because it's Rafa Nadal in the first two rounds at Roland Garros. It, it doesn't matter who's there, they're, they're going to lose. Um, Brandon Nakashima, as I mentioned, through past Talon Griexpor. Um, just a word on Cam Norrie, uh, Calvin. This is, you know, what he would have wanted from the first two days, having played and won the title in Lyon uh, just the week before the French Open and having delayed his first round match because of that, to turn up, play th- six very easy set. Well, I mean, I hate to say easy, but they were against, you know, two guys who he would expect to beat 10 times out of 10. It, it's probably what he needed, isn't it, just to ease his way in? Yeah, I guess. Although having said that, the way that Cam plays, there's never really any easy sets. Um, <laughs> he's he's an intense guy when he competes, and he has to make a lot of balls and has to get through a lot of miles. So, but yeah, in terms of what he could have realistically hoped for, I'd say this has gone perfectly so far. He said something quite funny in post match, which is rare, uh, unfortunately. Like Cam, he's a really nice guy, but like he's not, you know, he's not going to do stand up anytime soon. Like he he's just. Very straightforward and, you know, doesn't necessarily have a lot to say. I, I really like him, but, you know, he doesn't need a 20-minute press conference after every match, that's for sure. Um, and he, he basically said that, like, there wasn't there wasn't really any game plan. Like, I just, I just thought I'd go out and play because, he, like, he basically as much as said, yeah, I'm just better than this Kubler bloke and I'm pretty much fairly sure... I thought the interesting be... thing, the interesting thing with that though, would be that because um, I know that age group pretty well, 
Um, and Kubler was world number one juniors when Cam was around then. And there's always a bit of foldover from that. The players don't forget. And as as we've said before, that I think it's, you know, we're saying that Felix has a pretty good record against Sitsipas. Right. And I think maybe linked to that. And then Sitsipas and Zverev have that weird sort of relationship that stems from juniors. Yeah. And and I think I think Cam and Kubler would, would probably get on pretty well. I think they're mm. both pretty affable guys, but Kubler both in the dominant. same part of the world, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, but Kubler was dominant in junior, so there's always, you know, a little bit of that. So I thought that one could could get a bit interesting, even though Cam's obviously way ranked way higher. But mm. he did well to to chop him off there. I yeah, yeah. He said his first answer in the press conference was, "Yeah, happy to be through." I played it. Played out similar what I thought it would be. Pretty physical rallies. Not really a clear strategy. Felt like my game matched up very well with his. I just played my patterns and managed to get through it. I don't um, know. Maybe um, maybe Emma Raducanu's hitting partner gave them both tactical advice. So. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cam, as I say, he's through to the next round. He's going to play Karen Hatchinoff, um, which, you know, it's not easy, but it's the third round of a slam. Like, it's winnable, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's one that, you know, if you're in that seeding position that you'd probably want in the third round, I'd say. Um, mm. You know, it's it's the best you can hope for, isn't it? Hatchinov's far from an, an easy one, but it's the best you can hope for. And they, he never, Hatchinov never seems to have any sort of rhythm or anything in his results. He can win <laughs> Master Series and lose first round the next week. Yeah, yeah, it does seem to be uh, random, to say the least. Uh, he came through Hugo Delian uh, in the second round. He did, did drop the first set, which I was quite excited about because I right. picked Delian as my upset of the day but uh, alas um looking ahead to tomorrow uh it's probably gonna be the last really really busy day at roland garros and even then i think it's gonna be quite flat uh the, the night match is elise corne versus yelena ostapenko um even though corne is a home player i struggle to believe that that's going to be busy um probably the pick well, I mean, I'm really struggling for anything off the show course, to be quite honest. If you're really looking for entertainment tomorrow, I think, could be wrong, Casper Rude versus Emil Rusevori might feature the most use in any second round Grand Slam ever. Because Casper Rude's got two of them and Emil Rusevori's got four. So if, if that's not entertaining, I don't know what is. Um, I, I don't know even whether that's going to be a particularly interesting matchup, Calvin. Because I imagine Rude will take care of him pretty sharply. Although, I mean, Rusevori is starting to pick up some decent results. Yeah, he is. He's a good player. Um, but I don't think Clay is his best surface. And Clay is Rude's best surface. So That bottom half of the men's draw, we talk about the bottom half of the women's draw. Um, Rude is now in this section where, if you look at the quarter, um, because Shapovalov's out, the seeds remaining are him, Sonego, TFO Hercats. Evans and Tsitsipas, with, with, you know, and him and Tsitsipas are obviously opposite ends of that. I mean, Rude should look at this as a massive opportunity, shouldn't he? Yeah, um, absolutely. He's not getting a better draw in a slam anytime soon to make a final hmm. on his favourite service as well. Yeah. Um, and Tsitsipas has hardly looked in great form, has he? Hmm. Yeah, dropping those two sets to Mazzetti late, late, late uh, last night, Tuesday night as it was. It's not, not the way to do it. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with a full-strength, full-length podcast. Um, in the meantime, do keep coming back and listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.